Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. We've taken a month or two off now, uh, had a lot of stuff going on through through the summer season, had a couple of deaths in the family, and then we were sick, and uh, just a lot of different things going on. But we're back, and uh, glad to be back. You may remember that one of our previous episodes dealt with physician-assisted suicide, and we received a lot of uh, comments and call-ins concerning that, and there was kind of mixed emotions uh, between our Instagram Facebook poll and those that, that called in. Well, I was made aware of recently that Canada has added an amendment to their law that encompasses what we would know as medically assisted suicide or physician assisted suicide, but they give it the acronym MADE which is medical assistance in dying. But their new law leaves a lot of things open for interpretation and really could cause a lot of issues. Today I have with me David, or Dr. David uh, Sherbineau. Did I say that right, Sherbineau? That's correct. All right. And um, evidently, there has been an update to a, a law in Canada. And um, we spoke about on our, our podcast a couple of episodes ago about medically assisted suicide. And Canada has has that, but they call it a little something different. So, Doctor, if you would just kind of tell us who you are, what you do, and then tell us a little bit about how Canada operates. Well, thank you very much for having me on today. My name is David Sherman Oz, as mentioned. I am Professor of Pastoral Ministries, Spiritual Formation, and, and now the new program in Thanatology at the Graduate School at Tyndale University in Toronto. Thanatology maybe is a word that's not familiar to everyone, but it's understanding the process of grief, bereavement, death, and dying. And so, we developed the very first master's degree in thanatology about three years ago. Uh, I'm also a uh, Presbyterian minister, very active in a congregation, as well as teaching full-time. Part of my responsibility has been to be a minister with people who are in the final stages of life and dying. And I have been with many folks as they have taken their last breath and entered into the greater presence of God. But in 2016, the Canadian government introduced a bill called C-17, sorry, C-14. And uh, this bill was originally called Physician-Assisted Suicide. Later, they changed the acronym from PAS to MAID, M-A-I-D, which means medical assistance in dying. 
And this has become somewhat more palatable. And since that has been introduced by federal law, uh, there has been a lot of controversy. There has been a lot of discussion and it is still ongoing. And in 2021, they updated the bill. And in 2023, there are more changes coming. And so in many respects, Canada is becoming quite liberal uh, in this area of medical assistance in dying. In fact, uh, thousands of people have taken advantage of this bill, but there are huge questions around it. So there are 12 states in the United States that have medically assisted suicide. And there's a, a quite a cumbersome process uh, to even be able to get to that point which includes, you know, mental health uh, analyses and, and um, you know, there have to be a terminal condition. What kind of process is that in Canada? Well, the process that was originally designed is somewhat detailed, and I can give you a, a bit of a synopsis about the process that's dying. First of all, to be eligible for MAID, there are a number of criteria. The first one is you must be at least 18 years of age or older. So younger people at this stage in the bill's process uh, cannot access MAID, although some are wondering if that's going to happen by 2023. The second thing is you must be personally capable of making your own mental health decisions. In other words, this has to be something that you desire, not that someone else actually desires it from you. And then they say this, you must be suffering from what they call, in the languages, a grievous medical condition that is not reversible. In other words, you have a serious illness or you have some type of disability. You are in an advanced stage of uh, this disease and it's never going to regress or you will go into remission. And the other one, you are suffering physically and psychologically from all the demands that are being placed upon you by this disease. And so you are in this state of decline. Those are some of the factors. But then you must make a voluntary request. Now, I just had a situation where I was told that there was an elderly person in hospital who was dying. And the nurse actually approached the family and said, wouldn't it be better if we ended your loved one's life? And so that is totally contrary to the law. It can never be suggested to you. It must come from yourself. So that nurse was severely reprimanded. I think she might have been dismissed, actually, from that hospital. And then you must be able to have the ability to give informed medical consent to what you want to do. And so those are some of the eligibility factors around the patient. And so what they must do is they must make this request to a physician. It has to be witnessed by two people who are not connected to the individual. All they are doing in witnessing, they're not saying, I agree to this. They're simply saying, I acknowledge that this is your signature on this document. Then the patient must be assessed by two other medical doctors to guarantee that this condition is, uh, the patient is declining. There is no way of finding a cure. There's no way of alleviating the pain, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore they have met the basic criteria. 
And so those are some of the factors that are done. Now, you must wait right now. Now, this is probably going to change a minimum of 10 days from the original date making the request and having it signed and witnessed. And then just before the instrument of death happens, whether it is by injection or you take it orally, you must again give your consent to that action which is going to happen. However, at any time, you can withdraw your consent uh, to that action. So those are some of the guidelines that are in place. In Canada, it may be administered by a physician and it may be administered by a nurse practitioner. Those are the two people at this point in time who can administer. The third one would be you can self-administer the dosage, probably if you're taking something orally. Yeah. So in listening to that criteria, the one thing that to me was concerning was that the medical condition had to be something that could not be repaired or cured, but also was that it was actively declining. In essence, would that not say that that prognosis wasn't necessarily terminal? Well, I think if it wasn't progressing and if it wasn't active, that's the big question that someone would say. But then the argument that would probably be is I do not want to live this way. It is causing me great psychological angst. It is so stressful. I do not want to continue in this format. So, and this may be a very simplistic analogy, but if someone was suffering from, let's say, chronic arthritis and they were in pain, and while that's not something that's going to cause you to uh, pass away, that is something that you would progressively be getting worse and causing pain. So in that case, that person could be eligible for this process. Absolutely. I think that's a correct interpretation of my understanding of the law, that it is a condition which you're living with. You're not going to get better. It causes you severe pain. It limits your life. And therefore, your request is, I do not want to continue to live this way. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an illustration of what happened a number of years ago. In one of the cities in Canada, in the province where I live, there was an elderly couple who did not want to grow old with all the aches and pains and limitations of life. And they had arranged for MAID. And uh, just because they did not want to experience old age with all the limitations, they had chosen a date. They gathered with their family. The family knew about it. And that night they went out for dinner, said their goodbyes. And the couple said to their children, adult children, uh, don't come by the house till at least after midnight. After midnight, the family came by the house. The couple were lying in bed, fully dressed, holding hands, and they had ingested the medication that would end their life. And there they were dead on the bed, simply because they did not want to move in that direction. What concerns me is that there can be physicians who will think this is an act of compassion, that I am preventing you from moving into a lifestyle that you don't want is painful, it's going to be difficult, you don't think you can face it. And sometimes the criteria is somewhat overlooked. In in this analogy, it was simply that they didn't want to grow old? There wasn't some underlying medical condition? Well, the medical condition probably be that as you get older, you're going to have limitations. 
uh, and they did not want to live with those kind of limitations, which is a reality of life for all of us. I mean, I can't do the things now that I once did when I was 15, but life has other approaches. But for some, this is what they say, I do not want this to be a reality. So before Maine became a law, we had a famous case in Canada of a woman who was suffering from ALS, or the, the Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a horrible, horrible disease. At the time I was teaching, one of my students came in to see me, and he had been a medical doctor for 30 years. He was an obstetrician and a gynecologist. And he felt that he wanted to serve the rest of his life in uh, congregational ministry. So he came to the seminary to get his uh, theological training. And uh, he and I became friends. And in the last year of his Master of Divinity program, he came to my office and said uh, he wanted to chat. And the essence of the conversation was that he told me he had ALS. Now, as a medical doctor, he knew the trajectory of that disease. And uh, for the next three to four years, as I connected with him, I saw him gradually declining to the point where he was in a wheelchair unable to speak. Now, the woman in the Western province of Canada who had ALS, and it became big news, she decided that she could not live with ALS and how that type of death was going to take place. So she arranged for the ending of her life. This student of mine, whose name was David, same as my name, he wrote an article in his denominational magazine, and he talked about finding support through prayer, through the Word of God, through the community of faith, and his trust in the Lord for all of life. And he died in the embrace of God, not ending his own life. I thought, what a contrast that that would be. Yeah. Now, in, in my understanding, there, in this update, there could be area for someone who was living in poverty to be able to get this assistance as well. What is your thought process on that? Actually, in Canada, none of it has to do with your economic status because we have universal health care. And so the health care that I receive or that you would receive uh, would be the same as anyone who is below the poverty line living or even a person on the street. Uh, they would receive the same kind of care. So some of the changes that are coming, a lot of it will meet the same criteria, but there are some new factors. So you, first of all, you have to have a serious and incurable disease, excluding mental illness until March of 2023. So it's getting closer. So the issue of mental illness will come into play. And as we know, many people on the street, not all, but many do suffer from a form of mental illness. You must also be in an, uh, an advanced state of irreversible decline in your capacity. So you see everything still going downhill. Now here's the other part that's, that's really significant. You must be enduring intolerable physical and psychological suffering. Now that's gonna be interesting as they try to determine what in the world is psychological suffering? In other words, the treatment we give you cannot be alleviated under the conditions which you as a person would consider to be 
acceptable. Now, right now, they are talking about mental illness, but primarily they're trying to stay away from the domain of psychiatry, which deals with depression and personality disorders. What they're looking at is neurocognitive and neurodevelopment disorders or other conditions which may affect your cognitive ability. So to deal with that, part of the emphasis now is that you are going to be able to sign a request for MAID in advance of any of these things actually happening to you. So therefore I could say, if thus and thus happens, then I want to request MAID. And that has to be signed. So I'm doing that with full knowledge of what is important for me. As it moves towards that state, if at some point I am not in the capacity to give consent before it happens, I've already given consent before. Because with the present bill, you must wait 10 days, and then just before the lethal dose is administered, you must give your consent again. With the new bill, that secondary consent will not be necessary if you do not have the cognitive ability. And even gestures or motions will not be taken into consideration. Like, for example, if I put a needle in you and you flinch, that cannot be taken as, I do not want this to happen. They're just saying, that's a body reflex. They're also saying that for some people, and this is what has happened in the present time, people have requested made, there's a 10-day waiting period, but they have died, say, at day five. The law is going to be changed, so you do not have to have that 10-day waiting period. And that's part of what's going to be considered. And then I think one of the big questions is that what is going to be all of this uh, psychological stress that people are experiencing? I mean, if someone's you know, really ill, I mean, I've been sick a few times. I've been very fortunate not to be, you know, not to be ill. I'm relatively healthy. But I do know that people get ill, they get down, they get depressed. And they, oh, man, I can't take this anymore. And then, you know, it, it passes. So what happens if we move far too quickly? And then there's a huge controversy about the bill and that it requires doctors to comply with the medical orders. Now, here's what's happening. Let's say I am a Christian physician and I do not believe in MAID. What do I do with my conscience? So the government is saying that you as a Christian physician or any person of a faith orientation, whether you're Hebrew, Jewish, Muslim, whatever, it doesn't matter, you are not required to perform the act of injecting the individual with the lethal dosage or giving them the medication. However, it is expected that you would refer them to a physician or an institution that would comply with their request. And so this has caused many Christian physicians in Canada to be extremely upset, and uh, they're taking some action towards this. We have the Christian Medical and Dental Society, which I think is also in the United States, and we have the Evangelical Medical Aid Society, and they have presented legal briefs to parliament or to government, and they are fighting this. What the government has permitted is that faith-based hospitals, such as hospitals that are under the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, for example, uh, those hospitals will not perform abortions and they will not perform MAID. And so doctors are working there. And to be honest with you, I think the most vulnerable group of doctors would be family physicians and those who work 
in palliative care or hospice because they're the ones dealing with a lot of these questions uh, day after day. Yeah, I, I wonder how they're going to define that benchmark of a psychological condition that you know becomes applicable in this sense. But it's also very concerning to me that, I mean, it sounds a lot like a DNR that you would have in the States that say, you know, don't resuscitate me if I get into this cardiac arrest or whatever, but that consent could not be withdrawn after that is made. That to me is very concerning with your background as a, as a psychotherapist before getting into the work that you're doing now. Uh, we know that there can be moments of clarity of where they can make those decisions. So is there no room to withdraw consent? Yes, you can. If long as you have the cognitive ability, you can withdraw consent at any time. But the bill is going to state that if you lack cognitive capacity and you've already made that decision, then the bill goes forward. Mm. And so that, that becomes a huge issue. Uh, and a lot of people... Have, they have to sign that knowing that that is the reality. So if I should suffer from Alzheimer's or I have dementia and they're coming at me with a needle and I'm going, no, 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 don't do that. Well, it would seem to me the way the bill is written that their refusal would not be complied with. Right now you have the 10 days and then right up to the moment of the injection or taking the medication orally. Uh, you have the right of refusal. Or at any time, you can just sign it off and say, I don't want this to happen. So would it be possible, say, that an individual who is is very healthy, uh, would it be possible for them to give consent to MAID in the event that they become, let's say they had a car accident and they had a, uh, a TMI um, or a TBI, rather, that they could go through that process then? Is there a consent prior this is the new law that has just come into effect in 21, that you can give consent prior to you ever reaching that condition. And then they would probably ask you if you are cognitively able to comprehend, do you want to go through with this? And if not, then it is your request. It's the same, you talk about a DNR. In Canada, we now call it A-N-D. I mean, DNR means do not resuscitate. A-N-D means allow natural death. And so what we are proposing for many people is that they actually have what we call in Canada a living will. And you stipulate what you really want to happen in the event that certain things happen to you. So for example, when we provide what we might call extraordinary measures, like doing CPR or all these things, the intention is that it's going to enable the person to come back and to enjoy life in the, the way they had once known. So if I have a heart attack, I'm hoping they're going to put a defibrillator on me or do some compressions on my chest so that I get my heart pumping and, you know, I go on and live a few more years in, in a way that would be very enjoyable. But if I know that all these extraordinary measures will not allow me to live life I want to allow myself to experience natural death. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to be born, there is a time to die. And so I have to look at these people requiring all these extraordinary measures. Are they prolonging life or just delaying dying? And for many, 
they're delaying dying. They're in a comatose state. They can't comprehend. There is no way they will ever return to normalcy or even have cognition of what life is about. And they would remain in that vegetative state. And I mean, there have been many famous cases in the U.S. which have been fought over years as well as in Canada. So people today are looking at, they want to have a living will. So I have a living will. I've given it to my son, one son who is a physician, my other son who is a minister, and they know exactly what I want. And I say, if I'm in this condition, uh, I'd like to be kept hydrated. I'd like to be kept pain-free and comfortable. But don't do all these extraordinary things, which are just going to cause probably more damage to the body, and nothing will change. But I don't want someone injecting me with a lethal dosage uh, because I believe our life belongs to God. And he is the one who gives life, and he is the one who takes us back to himself. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Sherbino, it was good to have you with us here on Doc's Hawks today. I would like to get you to come back maybe in a few weeks and talk about the psychological effects on the families uh, of these these uh, patients who have have opted for MAID. But uh, I appreciate you being here with us today. My pleasure. I look forward to that. Thank you. Regardless of how you may feel about MAID or physician-assisted suicide, the law here in this new update in Canada at least gives some some very huge openings for some things to happen that shouldn't really be allowed to happen and and even leave space for it to expand in into things that maybe aren't even shouldn't even be considered. Now I want to hear from you. Of course, you can email us at doc at thedocbrian.com, or you can call in our guest line at 910-777-7239. That's 910-777-7239. Now, I believe that life is valuable, and I believe that we're given one life, and we must live it to the best. But I can't imagine being in a situation where there was potential to have so much harm and hurt and heartache that I would consider physician-assisted suicide. But that doesn't mean that there are those that should not consider it. So when we really begin to think about what is going on, I, I think we have to be very, very careful in passing judgment on how we would feel on certain issues. As we all have our own opinions. And as it once was put to me, everybody can have an opinion, but only you have a vote for your life. So let us know what you think. Of course, you can call us, you can leave us your message, or you can text our number 910 910- 777-7239. Thank you for listening to Doc Talks today. We hope to hear from you soon. Goodbye.